or the Panther Pod for short. In the coming weeks, we'll be releasing an episode based around a specific topic affecting students, faculty, or other members of Chapman's community, whether large or small. You'll hear from a different host each week. To kick things off, I'm Matali, the Features Editor, and in this episode, we'll be covering the Crown Act, which is short for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. The Crown Act was created in 2019 through a partnership with Dove and the Crown Coalition with the goal to protect Black people against race-based hair discrimination. In Dove's Crown research study in 2019, they discovered that Black women are one and a half times more likely to be sent home from the workplace because of their hair, and 80% were more likely to change their hair to fit in at work. Most recently, the House of Representatives passed the Crown Act, and it's now up to the Senate and President Trump to sign this bill into law. You'll hear from two guests today. First, I'm going to introduce sophomore broadcast journalism and doc major Imani Wright. The first question I have for you is, why do you think we need legislation protecting Black people from race-based hair discrimination? Still happening in the workplace, it's still happening in schools, especially in private schools. Um, A lot of kids are supposed to a lot of black kids get targeted in specific grooming policies where oh your hair has to be a certain way in order to be here and stuff like that um so i think that's what what do you think the purpose of these grooming policies are versus what they actually end up doing um i think the grooming policies are just to make sure that students don't show up to school in pajamas they end up um kind of targeting groups of people, specifically Black people in terms of their hair um, and their appearance. So I think that's what ends up happening. What are your thoughts when it comes to kind of pop culture figures like Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner when they wear braids and cornrows and the implications of that? I think they're culture vultures. They're just there to make money. And um, people don't understand about that either when pop culture figures like kim k and all of them do that they send this message that like oh i can culturally appropriate like black hair when you don't even realize the history behind it there's the, all the discrimination that comes with it from that happens to black people um and it's a consistent pattern of Again, like you said, taking the image of black people and totally disregarding the consequences. Even some of the celebrity styles are black and doing that. And I'm like, I know you know better. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's no way you don't know, but you're still doing it based off of like first of money. It's just crazy that they've been able to kind of take this part of black culture, adopt it, and then completely ignore the repercussions that the black community has to deal with because of that talked about in the article Mm -hmm. um about how like when I was younger I was playing it's like pre-k so I wasn't even like in school school yet and I had like Um, and even like mm -hmm. when I was in middle school like I would get my hair done and like it would poof up they'd be like what's wrong with your hair I'm like the amount of times I get asked can I touch your hair I'm like no I used to be like oh that's fine now I'm just like no 
exactly because like that's weird i was like i did it because it happened a lot especially like when i was in like predominantly white spaces Mm -hmm. and i'm like would you like it if i came up to you and asked if i could touch your hand probably not i don't think so yeah you know yeah especially like white people look at it as something that's so innocent but you know i I should be able to touch your hair because you know i had the privilege to do so like you like you can appreciate and look from afar I feel like a lot of the time the attitude is like, oh, you should take it as a compliment. I think your hair is cool and I'm not calling you a freak. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like you're put in this awkward position where it's like, okay, am I supposed to be grateful that you see me as like different or other? Like, is that supposed to make me feel good? You make black people feel like a freak show when you do stuff like that, too. They feel like out of place. Like, oh, can I touch your hair? Like, you're some animal or something. You can do so many things with black hair. It makes uh, you feel beautiful. It makes you feel confident. Like black women always say, you know, I don't feel I don't feel beautiful until I get my hair done. My hair is um, it means like a lot to me because I've always had like a love hate relationship with my hair. Um, I have four C hair, which is like the hardest texture yeah. to deal with. It's a love hate relationship. Just has to get some nerves. It is a source of being able to express myself and being able to feel pretty and being able to, you know, have, I'm blessed and thankful that I have black hair because I am able to do so many things with it. Um, even in its natural state, like I could do like a twist out, or I could do a braid out. It's really cool, even though it is a pain. <laughs> so basically a lot of like black students came forward over the summer on Instagram and, you know, they're sharing their testimony, what they went through and, how Chapman, they didn't feel supported by the administration, basically. Yeah, because I know there was, like, a couple instances, like, even recently, where, like, Cutie Pock was, like, writing Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. in chalk. Like, public safety made them, like, leave. Like, and they were social distance wearing masks, doing everything they were supposed to. And then it was washed away. So, like, stuff like that, like... But I think we also have to think about the origins of Chapman. You know, when you're used to something, you don't want change, even if it is for the better. So I'm like, why isn't there any body of color in the decision-making room? Like, in that, in those places where, you know, things can be changed. Mm-hmm. And even with BSU and the action plan, like, simple, simple action plan. Nothing, that, if I was a school administrator, I'd be thankful to the BSU that they wrote out everything for me to do. All I gotta do is just execute it. Here's a handbook. Here's everything you have to do. Right, exactly. They work their butts off, all of them. Like, I know Dodge specifically is really, has been really heavy on, like, diversifying the college itself. So I'm like, how are you gonna, how is Dodge gonna be lightly years ahead of you and then the institution isn't like you know chapman does have to do better and i don't i don't know what it will take i wish i had a clear answer for like oh this is what needs to happen and then they'll do something you know do you think that the crown act will pass the senate i could, honestly i could see president trump using it as like a ploy to like gain black voters i think i before the election probably not but if, if Joe Biden were to be elected, I'm sure Kamala would, would uh, try to get it passed, I'm sure, if they win. Thank you so much, Imani. I really appreciate it. Our second guest this week is Chapman graduate student Montez Jennings. Hi, how's it going? 
Good, how are you? I'm good. The first question I have for you is, why do we need legislation protecting Black people from race-based hair discrimination? We need this legislation because there are people being held back in school, being held back in job, being held back in opportunities that are going to make them better or do something better for their future. It's going to help them so we can't have situations like we had, like, I think it was last year where the young man was so that he couldn't go to graduation or like prom because he had rocks. If you don't have kinky hair or Afro textured hair, people, you kind of get to assimilate to certain levels of society because you're just because of the way your hair lays. And I think it's really messed up. How can one thing that a person can't even help get in the way of them getting jobs and, and increase their likelihood of being disciplined at work? It's so hard having kinky, coily, Afro-textured hair because whenever you go to an interview, you know, sometimes it's like, should I straighten my hair? Should I wear a wig? Should I do this? Should I do that? Because things that are connected to your culture are deemed inappropriate. So this is why we need that legislation to change, to try to shift people's mindsets about those things. What do you think the purpose of grooming policies are at work in school versus what they actually end up doing? Honestly, I always felt like grooming policies and dress codes were either racist or sexist. They're always meant to make uh, someone else feel more comfortable than the person they're applied to. And if you think about these quote-unquote grooming policies, it's always uh, this idea of professionalism. But professionalism in our day and age is really synonymous with white. So you think about people who are like, oh, I need to lay my edges down, or I need to make sure that my... I need to make sure I slick my hair back as much as possible. And um, of course, I'm not saying like women who do that or people who do that want to be white. But what I'm saying is subconsciously, I feel like in professional settings, a lot of people do that because it, you know, it creates, it creates less stress for them, it creates less trouble for them. The policies are, yeah, it's supposed to create a professional environment, but we know what that really means. Exactly. It's just like another form of, I think, job discrimination in a way. So it's just another way that this institutional and systemic problem manifests. It always finds a way to manifest itself in a different way, shape, or form, or a different law or act. And then we as like marginalized populations have to mm -hmm. learn how to navigate that. We're, we're forced into that situation, these systems that are so actively trying to help hold us back while still championing like, oh, we want diversity, we want inclusion, but a very strict kind of outline or rubric for what that is, what for what that professionalism entails. Precisely. It's like, um, that's why I call it a dog whistle, because mm -hmm. people won't say things outright. But as you know, with the dog whistle, only dogs can hear it. So it's like people won't say or do things outright, but the language is so coded that certain people pick up on it, certain people being marginalized people, people of color, or, you know, other marginalized communities. And when we say something about it, people are like, well, you took that the wrong way. No, that's not what we meant. Oh, you're just overreacting. Everyone's too sensitive. Oh, that's my favorite. Everyone's too sensitive nowadays. I hate that. Like, everyone's too sensitive. No, you just need to be a better person. <laughs> exactly. I think it's a cop-out a lot of the time. Oh, it definitely is. What are your thoughts when it comes to, like, pop culture figures like Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner when they wear braids? I sigh because I don't know why. Like, we've been having this conversation since Bo Derek debuted her cornrows in the 1970s, okay? If you look into why she did that, 
her husband was her manager at the time and he said let's do something daring let's do something that'll make you stand out as a white woman to get this role so she went and got cornrows like you know so when you hear the motivation behind that one has to think about what truly what truly are you accomplishing by putting cornrows in your hair that that wasn't paying homage you did that to get a job. You did that to get recognized. You did that to get fame and notoriety. You use something from someone else's culture to get notoriety. You use something from someone else's culture to secure your bag. Meanwhile, women were ashamed. I won't say ashamed per se, but women were made fun of in certain spaces if they wore their hair like that. Um, I get very annoyed. And I also get very tired because... I don't know how many times you can explain the cultural significance of braids and cornrows to people, and yet you still pop up and you see these celebrities putting them in their hair just all willy-nilly. Like, cornrows are so cultural. Um, they're so cultural that, you know, they used to be used as maps for slaves. Like, slaves use, uh, literally like embedded maps into the hair of people. So you can't say things like, oh, they're not cultural, they're for everyone, because they're not exactly. Because when you still have like little girls being teased for wearing braids, you still have people saying box braids are unprofessional. It, it's insulting and it's a slap in the face. And I think that for many years, black women who did wear their hair in braids or cornrows, you know, there's been criticism from a lot of people about that. It's insulting and it's, all, it's also hurtful. And I think more importantly, it's also like the willful ignorance at this point. Ma'am, Google exists, archives exist, history exists. It's always a cop-out, it's always an excuse, and it's just, it's really tiring. I think it's also really tiring. I'm waiting for, you know, when black women don't have to worry about if wearing braids or fur or cornrows to their job or a job interview will get them a job. I think I'm waiting for the day where that's a second thought. Also, these are also these are also protective styles, so they are more than just fashion. They literally do things for our hair because the way our hair grows out of our heads. There's a book called The Science of Black Hair that explains these things. But of course, I don't know if they've read it. Nuance, history, culture, all these things have context. And if you don't know the context or if you don't bother to learn the context, then that you're just being willfully ignorant. They know that they're profiting off of being characters of blackness. And because that has proven to work for them, they keep doing it. Despite people trying to educate them, despite people saying whatever to them, it's just a continuous, continuous thing. Like, I just... It is. And then suddenly the labels that people would use for Black women, like ratchet or ghetto or, like, not classy, suddenly it's really classy. Suddenly it's high fashion. Same thing goes for hoop earrings, you know? Oh, my... Oh, oh, oh. Exactly. I'm malfunctioning. Like, I I remember, like, the idea that, like, people say, like, oh, your hoop earrings have to be a certain size because that determines what's professional. And yet here we are. We have Refinery29 and all these other articles. You want to make an outfit snap? Add hoop earrings. And I'm so mind blown because I remember when I was younger, uh, there were derogatory things said about women who wore hoop earrings, who wore long nails, who had, like, fronts or gold teeth who had really colorful box braids or blonde box braids. You know, there are all these derogatory things. There are all these caricatures created of black women that have these traits. And those caricatures are meant to tell you, this is bad. 
this is not good. You should not look like this. And so I'm just doing fast forwarding to now where, you know, I see like white girls just swinging box braids or getting long nails or getting hoop earrings or white girls are even using Abby. You know, it's just like these things are becoming like being a black American is a very interesting experience because black Americans have had to have had to cultivate and create culture. And unfortunately, all of that has become mainstream and popular culture. So it's like we're constantly having things taken away from us and constantly being told, that's not yours. Oh, that's that's not a black thing. That doesn't belong to black people. Then what does? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like you, you as in colonialism and imperialism, like you force them to erase their identity. And then when they do come up with their own culture, you say that's not yours. In the, in the African diaspora, Black Americans, we are displaced people. Um, our descendants were displaced. And we've been in this foreign land creating and cultivating our own culture. And then it's like, what what whiteness does? It sees something it likes. And then it takes it. And then it's like, this is mine now. It doesn't make any sense. Even if they have to even ask a question or if there's like, oh, I feel kind of uncomfortable doing this. Maybe you shouldn't. And like you said, it's a slap in the face to everyone that has to deal with the repercussions of a Black identity in America. What is the relationship between Black femininity and Black women's hair? And what does your hair symbolize to you? Black hair has always been a symbol of who we are, but it's also always been very political. Black hair has always been a statement. And I think that's why Black hair is policed so much, because... Our hair in its natural state, the way it grows, is a it's a statement of who we really are. You know, it's a symbol. And that symbol intimidates people. That's why people always want us to control it or tame it or make it prettier for make it quote unquote professional. These things are like puzzle pieces from where we are, where of who we are and where we came from before. So like that's why like, you know, um, why black hair matters so much and why like these things are so sacred to us and why we get so upset when we see like people just like putting in box braids or getting locks or doing that kind of thing because those are literally the puzzle pieces, the building blocks that we ha- we are building for ourselves. And my experience is obviously nothing in comparison to yours, but I remember I have wavy hair. It's not curly, but it's wavy. And I remember like my my mom has a similar hair texture, but she's been straightening it, like, ever since, I want to say, like, the early 2000s. And, like, I remember, like, my hair would be, like, you know, like, poofy. It would be fluffy because no one's telling me how to take care of my curly hair. My mom just handed me a straightener, and she was like, just straighten it. And so that's what I did for all of middle school, all of high school. And now I'm just realizing... Every day? Like when a lot a lot of the time yeah it was every time i washed my hair yeah it was bad damage yeah like i feel it wasn't as bad as obviously like chemically straightening my hair but there was no one like telling me like oh you should embrace your yeah there's no one to tell you these things because like the norm is like bone straight hair and i remember like you know there was once a time in my life when like I um I had like a my hair was just out in a fro and I was a little kid and I remember people saying like oh you're like telling my mother like her hair is nappy nappy I hate that word to the core like it just sends a 
it's like Freddy Krueger claws on a chalkboard for me. They're like, oh, her hair is nappy. You need to fix it as if there's something wrong with it. And when you have that being told to you constantly from a young age, you know, people start straightening their hair when they're young, whether you're doing it with a straightener or whether you're doing it with chemicals, this is the message like there's something wrong with me that I need to fix. There's something wrong with my hair or, um, you know, there are certain things that I can't do because I don't want to mess up my hair like that kind of thing. What am I going to do for this job interview? How am I going to do my hair? Because if it's natural, they're going to say like, oh, you just walked out of bed. Like you didn't even do anything with your hair. Mm -hmm. You didn't fix it. And looking at, you know, textured hair as a problem is the root of the problem in a sense. Precisely. Precisely. 100%. 100%. And it's like the thing is. It's always like, yeah, it's always the idea that there's some, there's a problem like, oh, you just rolled out of bed or like you didn't do like when I first transitioned to natural a couple of years ago, I remember I used to see memes like just because you're natural doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything with your hair. And like there were all these really nasty memes about, excuse me, about women with natural hair saying that we didn't comb it, we didn't brush it, we didn't do anything to it. And that's simply not the case. And you're immediately labeled as sloppy. It's like, how is that fair? Yeah. And girls can come out of the shower and let their hair's, hair air dry and they're ready to go to their job interview. How is that fair? Do you think that the Crown Act will pass the Senate and Trump? It's so hard to... So on the one hand, right, elections are very close. Mm-hmm. So it might pass in a very pandering way. Mm-hmm. Like... Look, see, see, I passed this, so now you vote for me. See, see, we did it. On the other hand, I'm actually, I'm, I'm still skeptical about it because there are so many things that we could do to benefit marginalized communities in this country, and we just don't do them. Even things as small as passing the Crown Act, um, really punishing law enforcement for killing unarmed bodies. You know, we don't do these things that benefit marginalized communities at all. So I'm really really skeptical about it it's really hard to say and i know that's not a, that's not an answer but no, that's okay it's the reality i have a little bit of hope i have hope but and like i said to someone else if you are black you've been living in a pandemic much longer because anti-blackness and racism is a global pandemic that we have been surviving in so we're in double a pandemic um, if nothing, if this summer and spring didn't prove to anything else, is that being black, black people are not safe, no matter what they're doing. If that message wasn't clear before, it's very clear now. Black people are not safe from uh, white people in law enforcement, white people who live in their neighborhoods. Like, we're, we're not safe. It's like literally walking around with a target no matter where you go. And now it's like there's a virus that's also targeting people. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Stay tuned for a new episode of the Panther Pod out next Sunday. I've been your host, Matali, signing off.